Welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm so excited to have you join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs in the photography industry as we discuss photography, building a business, and still having a life through it all. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer. And now, let's dive into conversation. All right, we're live. Here, here we are, and I actually get to sit with my friend Luke Edmondson, who I'm trying to think how long we've actually known each other now. Six weeks, I think. Is it six? Not seven? Not seven, but we're going to get there, because okay. <laughs> I'm an optimist. <laughs> there are a few people in the industry where if I have the opportunity to get to see them, I feel like I'm seeing family that I just spoke to the other day. Sure. Um, that's the kind of relationship... I mean, at least from my perspective, that I, that I have with with my friend Luke, um, we've done business together, we've done life together, we've gone really deep in conversation, multiple occasions, um, and encourage each other and and hurt together, and and uh, so I feel like, well, I feel like your family. Absolutely, um, I feel the and, same way. And I I have such respect for not only what you're doing in the industry but just for who you are as an individual there's a certain level of transparency that you have every time we dive into conversation that i look forward to mm-hmm. um so i thank you for that um tell us a little bit about yourself you you've been in the industry for a long time and and i mentioned before we got started that we're going to kind of dive into this topic of longevity it's kind of unusual these days in the f- photography industry but tell us a little bit about your background sure absolutely so um you know my unique situation is I come from three generations of photographers. Uh, my grandfather was uh, involved in photographic sales and photographic supplies. My father launched into uh, full-time photography in 1974, which is before some of the people listening to this may have even been born. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was born in 75, and suddenly, uh, you know, I've grown up, you know, just surrounded by this world of, of creativity and photography. And, and uh, I started professionally at the age of 21. 41 now, so that's 20 years for myself. So there's been this long period of our family's life where photography in some form has been um, kind of woven through the fabric of, of what makes us, um, how we relate to the world, how we see the world, and, and of course how we, how we like to think. And uh, one of the most beautiful things for me is the fact that my father and I now have gotten to do business together for a little over a decade at this point. And uh, and that's really uh, a privilege. I would say this. When I first started working with my dad, I said I could work uh, with my father but not for my father. And uh, today I could absolutely gladly work for him. And that's been more about the grace that he's given me just to mature and, and of course, for me to establish my own sense of identity within what it is that we do. What I think is so beautiful, when I, when I see the two of you together, and we're actually here at a photography conference, so I get to see you guys together. <laughs> You're hearing background noise. We're actually in a convention center. Um, but when I get to see the two of you together, there's always this, uh, you speak about grace, but you show a certain level of grace to him in a, such a consistent fashion. You've been around for a, a while. You've been doing this for a I'm while. Old, you great. have <laughs> You have a talent set to speak of on your own, and yet you're always there to serve him. Yep. What, what is that about? You know, um, I didn't always want to be a photographer. In fact, uh, without, uh, I think, intentional thinking on my parents' part, what happened is my sister drew a picture and everybody goes, oh, you're the artist in the family. And I probably kicked a ball and they said, oh, you're the athlete or, you know, somebody else played a musical note and you're the musician. They, they sure, gave each sure. child their, their sense of fiefdom and, and, and tried to encourage them and so forth. 
So I never associated myself with the arts, so to speak. Uh, so when I grew up in the family business, it was just something that, uh, that we did. Uh, a little bit on the, the lines of The Karate Kid, which is an old movie that some people may have seen. It's a classic. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, you're working in the studio and you're doing stuff. And uh, for me, it was a chore, total chore. Uh, but at the same time I was learning, I didn't realize what it was that I was, I was learning at the time. When the time came in my life that I realized that I would not be well-rounded as a person if I did not explore this thing called art, and that was when I got to college, uh, I, and never having expressed interest you know, uh, in that, that realm beforehand, my father gave me the best gift he could have ever given me, which he said, absolutely. And I said to him at the time, I said, I don't even have any idea where this is going to go. I just know that if I don't do this, that there's gonna be a part of me that's gonna always be missing. And he said, go for it. And so I did. And that's the kind of when he first extended that sense of grace towards me and, and that opportunity just to go into something without knowing what the, the final outcome and result was gonna be. Later on, when I came back to, to work with him and so forth, when you think about, let's say a musician, somebody who, who plays on, on the highest levels, uh, Somebody who's new to perhaps picking up the guitar or whatever says, "Oh, I, I, I so love guitar. I just want to I want to wear my guitar everywhere because it's my identity. I want to let the world know that I'm a that I'm an aspiring musician." And, and you really just want to jam, right? Sure. Uh, and you want to jam with anyone, anytime yeah. you can. And uh, my dad was the guy who practices his guitar all the time but probably doesn't really want to jam with some guy that's just still learning how to play the scales, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, so there was a certain amount of grace that he gave me in that to be able to get up to speed with him, and I had to do that on my own. That work had to be done on my own. Uh, to the point that I could finally uh, run alongside him uh, in a photographic sense and, and be able to, um, uh, to stand on my own, to be able to, to think in, in an interesting way about how is it we're going to visually problem solve a particular situation or a particular look? How am I going to have a unique vantage point and, and idea uh, and, and so forth? So, so there was a lot of grace that he gave me all along that growing process. So it's very natural and very easy to answer your question for me to extend that back to him at this point. So uh, it, it's just something that it's a choice that we make every day. It's like any other relationship, a business partner. Uh, perhaps you, you work with a family member or whatever. It's just this, it's this choice that you make about the time that we have is so precious together. Yes. So why in the heck do I want to spend it arguing over something that's just a minor detail? Right. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Um, I know we all have different experiences with our, our fathers or our mothers, different types of relationships. Um, my, my dad and I weren't always close. We've had the wonderful opportunity to kind of build on, on our relationship in the last, even the last few years, mm -hmm. connecting over riding motorcycles. We were just talking about riding motorcycles a little bit ago. Um, but uh, I just have so much respect for, you talked about the word grace, but even just the word respect yeah. uh, itself, the, the level of respect that you guys show each other, not just professionally, but as individuals. And it, and it just, it's so consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's something that I always notice, even in just the simplest interaction. So you think, you think about that word respect, you know, on some, some level people say, well, you just need to respect me. Well, I have to accept you where you are. Absolutely. And I have to accept you for who you, who you are, but respect is both given and it's earned. My dad's earned my respect. It's easy to give it. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. makes sense. So take us back just a little bit to. Well, first of all, you're based right now in Texas. We're about in, we're about in Texas. We're in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Yep. 
And you're, tell, tell me a little bit about your family, too. Sure. Well, I, I have a beautiful wife. Uh, I'm completely undeserving of her, of her love. Mm. Um, uh, I do have to remind her on occasion that she chose me. <laughs> she could have chosen anyone, and she chose me, <laughs> including the sets of problems that I have. Uh, we have a, a, an absolutely delightful three-year-old daughter mm. who is one of just the joys of my heart. Her name is Holland, and I adore her. And uh, four months ago, we had a, a, a son come into our lives, Rhett, who, I mean, I just love getting to know. At this point, it, you know, the, our interactions are belly laughs and watching him roll over and, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, we had a, a moment uh, when he was born where we had a bit of uh, excitement, let's say, and we started our, our journey off with him for nine days in the NICU. Wow. And, uh, and so that, uh, and it wasn't a premature type thing. It was just kind of part of how the, the, the birth process went. And, uh, you know, it taught me a lot. I used to say, give me 10 fingers, 10 toes, healthy baby, I'm happy. It was very cavalier. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't hold that against myself. I think that's just a, a normal type thing. When you're faced with the reality of, of leaving a hospital with your child still there, it's just a different reality, right? And it's, it's given me a lot of empathy for people and uh, that, that perhaps have, have a child with a disability or anything else that could have happened with birth and it just makes you say to yourself, as a parent, and you know this with your own kids, you're going to love your children regardless right. of any particular situation. And, uh, and so that's been part of the process that we've been going through. And, and I think ultimately, we're seven years into our marriage, it's helped bring us closer and to work better together as a couple. And, uh, and again, that goes back to the grace and the choices and all that kind of stuff as well. How does, how does having kids now, and I was so excited when I... Find, found out that your daughter was going to be born, uh, that that you were going to, I was going to get to observe you as a father. We, sure. We've known each other for a little while prior to you having kids, and we've talked about fatherhood and that whole experience, and I was excited to see what, what that would look like for you, um, especially knowing, of course, your relationship with your dad. Um, how has that influenced your photography career? You know, uh, I'm going to bring it back to something here. So, um, uh, we're members of an organization as well over in, uh, in England, and they had an opportunity to go for, um, it's called your fellowship, and uh, it's, let's say, a terminal degree in photography and so forth. And, and to set the stage, what you, you do is, is you create a, a portfolio of 20 images in a particular field. My particular field was weddings. And um, with that, you have to include a statement. And so it causes you to pause and reflect uh, on uh, how things are. And when I started shooting weddings, I was single and, you know, I was the same age or younger than many of the bridesmaids. And yeah. you could flirt and do all this kind absolutely. of stuff. And it was all about energy. And, you know, I mean. Energy, that's what you call it, huh? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> okay. absolutely. Uh, well, that energy led to me meeting my wife. You okay. know, I, I met her on the dance floor of a wedding that I was shooting. So that's it, awesome. It worked out. Uh, but, um, you know, when I, when I was thinking about it, I started off the premise to say something like this. I said, you know, I don't think it's a requirement um, for you to be married in order to be a wedding photographer. And I really don't think it's a requirement for you to have children to be a wedding photographer. But both of those events, and how could they not, have shaped the prism that I now view wedding photography through. I, I can see it now through the eyes of a husband and what the wedding day in retrospect will mean. Interesting. I can also now see it through the prism of what it means to be a father and what that will mean to those children. 
And here it is, you're having the opportunity to capture on a wedding day this idea of shooting someone through the eyes of a loved one, right? And the way that my daughter will look upon her dad is going to be different than the way that my son will look upon his dad. My son's going to get to see, hopefully, how I model loving a woman. My daughter, I hope, also sees the same thing, right? And sees the value that I place in my wife. And I, I, I hope that that means that I, I have done something to shape the type of man that she desires to have in her life. So she doesn't ever settle for second best, right? She finds someone that values her for who she is at the same time accepting her for who she is. And, you know, when you get to this idea of marriage and all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, we're just choosing the set of problems that we want to deal with for the rest of our life, right? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. There is no perfect person out there, right? right? Right, right. So because of that, it's like, can I live with this particular set of problems? And if I do, then I chose that, and now let's go. So, you it's know. It's a very, very um, almost cynical, yet quite beautiful, and, and again, gracious way to, to approach a relationship like that. Well, and, I, and I think, too, something you mentioned earlier when you were, you were talking about your relationship with your dad you talked about identity, mm-hmm. uh, being comfortable in who you are as an individual and not looking for your identity in someone else enables you to show that type of grace and love to, and, re- and really any type of relationship that you're in, that the other person. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that becomes the fundamental thing. You know, we can get into marriage or relationships or, or whatever you want, but I mean, at a certain point when you first fall in love with someone, I mean, you're just excited thinking about them, right? Right. right. And, uh, and they're perfect. They have absolutely no flaws, right? You're just daydreaming about them, and it feels good just to daydream. It does, yeah. Uh, and then you spend more time around them and you start realizing they're a real person. And you're like, you're not matching this mental five by seven of the person that, that I love. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, and most people kind of when they hit that friction point, you know, we call them pinch points or whatever. That's when they kind of go, OK, well, now I'm going to start separating from you or whatever and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to I have to have enough. Um, I have to be filling my own tank. I can't be looking to them to fill my tank my emotional tank or whatever. If I do that and they do their part of taking care of themselves, then naturally we're going to have something to give to each other, right? But if I'm only looking at it for them to pour into my life, it's unsustainable. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So there you go. I, well, and, and like you said, we could go on about that because that, <laughs> that just brings so much to mind uh, about personal experience even even recently. But I, I think it's a, such a beautiful point. Um, I'm, I'm almost 40 myself, and I'm just now realizing the significance of that, that very fact that to look to other people to fill that so-called emotional tank um, is futile in sure. the end. And, and it leaves you wanting, always wanting more sure. versus when you do focus on the other person and what you can do to pour into them. As long as you're, you're mutually uh, working at that, um, then you can have a, a really, really beautiful relationship. So yeah. great, great advice on, on relationships. I want to dive into photography. And actually, it's kind of a great segue into photography because perspective, your perspective on life, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very rich one. I have, again, so much respect for it, I think has a significant effect on your longevity in the industry. I think a lot of photographers dive into, I know I did, dove into photography just at the initial excitement of even just having a cool camera. Sure. Right? There's, there's not a very deep motivation that is driving this attempt to get into a career, which can be quite challenging, especially when it comes to maintaining a business over the long run. What is it that you think, having been in the industry for 20 years yourself, 
and then certainly having the perspective of being able to watch your dad in the industry for so long. What, what would you say is it that, that enables you to stay, not only to be in the industry for this, this period of time, but to continue to challenge yourself? I mean, you guys are always going to print competitions and, and, and not only well, on, on both sides of it, judging and then also submitting your work to these competitions. So you're pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. is, is that the key element? Is there some other key element that, that drives this longevity? The answer to longevity is this. Care about the people that you're serving, right? So... We consider ourselves ambassadors of lugs of love, excuse me, uh, cleverly dis disguised as photographers, right? See, photography gives us permission to go places we have no business being and do things we couldn't do otherwise. Oh, absolutely. We're invited into people's lives, some of their most intimate moments. Mm -hmm. We're able to capture them. In a sense, they never even own the prints, the images, whatever it is that you do. They're just the custodians of them for future generations, right? We think of our audience as the people that we're shooting for, but really they're not right they're going to just enjoy them for a period of time and then they'll be passed on when you go into this process of figuring out how you work with clients and people and so forth and have long-term relationships and achieve success or, or or do any of this this kind of different stuff it's on some level you have to place a higher importance on them than you do on yourself and photography is so easy to be an ego-driven thing right absolutely that's that's the phrase that was running through my mind as you were as you were explaining yeah. this. i mean yeah. so where does it start you take a picture and some family members tells you you're, you got a great eye you're like yeah i, I kind of do <laughs> right. it's my right eye it's good right <laughs> and then you start doing other stuff and you start trying to see if your friends feel that way and then you start doing other stuff and you try and get you know it, it's this external validation of who you are and it just it, it feeds your ego right and then if there's ever a point where somebody doesn't give that to you, then you're like, well, forget them. Like, they don't get me. I need to find my perfect client, right? I need to only work with people that think like me or that like me, right? Well, that will only get you so far. And it is in some way unfulfilling. You know, from a wedding perspective, you might say, is there something good about trying to target a certain type of client? Well, sure there is. At the same time, I don't care who you are. If you're going to pay me a ridiculous amount of money, I can find a way to get along with you for eight hours. <laughs> right? Sure. Right? And then after that, we finish the job and, and we move on, right? But that, that's providing the food for my family and the, the different things like that. So on some level, it's really not about me. We have, we have times where I have people absolutely hire me to say, Luke, I want you to do your thing. It's all about you, whatever it is that you want. Does that feel good? course it does is are those days more fun absolutely there are other days that I might show up and for whatever reason I'm just a guy I'm just there to do a job they're there to have their party or they're there to have their fun or they're there to throw their big event because of their stature and stuff like that and it's all about them I'm just supposed to come in as a servant that's fine I can humble myself because it's not about me and go in there and serve them. And the fact that we're serving them allows us to then develop a relationship with them. And that relationship hopefully gives us an opportunity to have influence on their lives. Sometimes it's about putting down the camera and just talking to that person. That's one of the things that I think happens quite often is for these people, um, perhaps it is that nobody ever really cares about them. What they care about is their image, right? Uh, who, who they think that person is. You'll see it sometimes where people are quick to express, I just shot so-and-so's wedding, or I just did a portrait of so-and-so. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's all about this, and on some level it's also about marketing them. One of the things that I believe has helped us have uh, favor with people that perhaps 
have discretionary income or resources or notoriety, celebrity or whatever, is the fact at the end of the day, I'm not out to make their event my marketing vehicle, right? Wow, that's and, powerful. And that, that authenticity, let's say, and just saying, I'm here to serve, whatever it is, here's the range of options and the ways that I can serve you, what looks best to you. There's, there's an element of refreshing, I guess, an approach to that and a believability and that's what bring, allows them to, to invite us into their lives. So if I'm going to play devil's advocate, the Go photographer is going to come back and say, but, but Luke, I, I love this idea of, of serving and, and helping others, of, of capturing this day for them and, and for generations to come. But I'm an artist. Of course. How do I, how do I maintain some type of, quote, artistic integrity mm -hmm. in this effort to set myself aside and serve others? Sure, absolutely. So separate the artist from the business person, right? The artist can go do whatever it is that they want, right? That's why we do our print competitions. That's why we have a side of us that does fine art and the different things, the stories that we want to tell. Because quite honestly, the stories that we want to tell may not have an audience other than ourselves, right? And that's okay. Uh, hopefully they resonate beyond just myself, but that's for me to fuel myself. That's where I need to practice on my own. Some people say, like, I, don't, I won't pick up my camera unless I'm getting paid. And that sounds really good, right? I don't know any professional that doesn't practice when they're not getting paid, yeah. right? I mean, you should be practicing, right? Uh, or excuse me, I should have said practice and getting paid. So, so there's an element of the artist mindset which really needs that external validation, really needs everybody to like them, Lots of the most famous artists were not well-liked during their lifetime, and they died penniless, right? Mm. Vermeer is a, a guy that, that, that we've studied and so forth. And uh, I think that it was on his death certificate that they said, you know, essentially he had no clothes to be buried in because nothing that he owned was of quality enough, right? He was so broke at that period of his life, you know. And then later on, his paintings go on to sell for hundreds of millions of dollars in his death, right? It, it's not uncommon that as artists, you're particular genius won't be recognized in your lifetime <laughs> so would you say would you say then that you actively or proactively separate kind of the artistic focus from your so-called job Absolutely. or your business and, and even within this so i'll give you an example i did a, a photo of, of my wife and my daughter because i want to use the fullness of my hand you talk about what if it's not appreciated my wife would say to me can we just take a normal photo Right? Why do we have to go to these links? Why am I dressing <laughs> up? Why are we? Why am I bathing her? And we're building this set, and you're lighting it, and it's taking right. you know, thirty minutes for us to do this thing for you to get one picture, right? <laughs> yeah. And you go because I want you to experience the fullness of my hand. But what happens if this fullness of my hand isn't even appreciated by my own family? Should I not do it? Hmm. No, I should. You know, we think about our clients and stuff like that. We think everything that we do, they just need to love. Well, sure, it'd be nice if they did, but I also need to have stuff that they'll buy. If they want the picture where they're just smiling, looking at the camera, and I want this backlit shot that's all artistic, and they don't get it, that's not a rejection of me. That's just their visual IQ. Or it's just them saying, this is what I like. Okay, great. So let's do it. Let's sell it. Be done. So what type of projects do you, I mean, aside from photographing your own family now, what kind of, what kind of projects fuel you? Where do you find that creative outlet? So the projects that, that fuel us are, again, it kind of comes down to the storytelling messaging. 
Um, you know, there's some things that we've been doing with like Edward Hopper, uh, which is a little bit more on the idea of American realism and in some ways exploring the disconnection between two people. Okay. Uh, that's always an interesting thing to me because as you know, or anybody that's in a relationship knows you can literally sleep next to someone and yet be disconnected. Absolutely. Right. And you go, we're separated by inches but we're in our own separate worlds, right? Mm. So that's an interesting thing to go through an exploration of. Uh, you also have... Uh, and are you, are you trying to figure out ways to capture that artistically yeah, yeah, then? Yeah, okay. how do you visualize that? Okay. And then what is it that you're trying to say, you know? And oftentimes what we like to do is give just enough information that there is a story there, but the final interpretation is very much what the viewer is bringing to look at it that makes sense absolutely because all of us do that right i mean there's you know as they say three people present in every photo there's the subjects there's the viewer and of course there's the photographer absolutely you know so 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 how is it that people are going to look upon this and what is it they're going to see uh what what is the story that they take from it versus the story that i'm trying to tell so in order to maintain a a healthy business yep. and to keep the focus in that business on the client and, yep. and serving the client uh, while also somehow trying to find an artistic outlet for yourself, what would you say the balance is in your, I mean, when, you, when you're looking at, let's say, a month's time frame, how much time are you spending on the business side of things? How much time are you allocating to personal projects? Absolutely. So I think that the answer is that there's a time to sow and a time to harvest. When it's time to harvest, you harvest. You're out there, right? right? If that means that you can't do anything personal for two, three, four months, you do it. Sure. And you make that money. Sure. Uh, it's it's within that, at what point do you feel yourself perhaps getting burnt out or perhaps needing a recharge or whatever? I don't care whether it's an hour, it's a day, whatever it is, you build in those little pockets of time. And then you also look at your schedule to see when will I have my, an opportunity so I have something to work towards, right? Uh, concepting begins well before you ever pick up a camera, right? It has to start with an idea. And most people say this, well, if I just had the resources, if I just had the equipment, if I just had this then I'd be able to do something for myself or something that I would enjoy. You go, okay, great. Well, here's all the resources and here's all the equipment. They go, well, actually, my problem is I don't have enough time. <laughs> right. You go, oh, I totally understand. How about I just give you all the time in the world? You can do it, whatever it is you want, you can have all the resources. Well, what's the crux of the matter? The real thing is that they don't have any ideas, hmm. right? And the reason they don't have any ideas is because creativity is a muscle, it's something that you have to practice. It's not just something that you go, okay, now I want to be creative and I want to pull that out, right? And so my suggestion is if you're struggling with creativity, the way that you start to get around that is something that's oftentimes the thing we, we most don't want to do, which is you have to become still. At some point, you have to become introspective before you can become expressive, right? And most people want to go straight to just, I want to express, but they don't have a voice. They don't have anything that they want to say. So it's, it's, it's coming within yourself, being quiet, being still. Uh, I, I heard this once about uh, trying to solve a puzzle. If you want to solve a puzzle, it's sometimes easier to do when you're lying on your back because your brain spatially thinks differently than it does when you're sitting up right? It forces your brain to start seeing the world in a bit different. You know, there's a show. It's all about perspective, right? It is. It is about perspective. There's a show called Sherlock and uh, many people may have seen it or whatever, but Absolutely. there's always those scenes where, you know, they do this thing where they show Sherlock's brain. He's sitting there and suddenly the, the world splits out and all these symbols come apart, you know, type things and, and they separate. They're no longer a whole, but he starts seeing the, the connections in a different way and, and the answer becomes obvious, right? Absolutely. Um, and so it's like, it's that type of ability to be able to sit back, reflect, 
allow things to co- come through and process. Your subconscious comes to the forefront. And uh, there's a term we call percolates, that grace to yes. be able to think about things. And it's then all of a sudden there's something that's aha moment. And now suddenly you see the textures. You see the weight of the, the, the objects that perhaps are going to be the elements within the scene. You see the story, the crux. What is the, the real story it is that you want to tell? And now how do I go about communicating that very efficiently and decisively? Right? And once you have that, now you know all the things that you need to go out to do to actually do the, the how and the what. So I guess the, the sum of the, the answer is this. Once you know the why, yes. you have your answers. Absolutely. But until you have that, you're spinning your wheels. I can't thank you enough for making time to sit and chat. And it's my privilege. We, we, we dove into life. We dove into business. And um, I think that, that kind of mirrors the conversations that we, normally, that we normally have. So I really appreciate you making time for this. Um, how can photographers find not only what you guys are doing business-wise and in the industry, um, but also see some of your personal work as well? Absolutely. So pretty much on any social media, it's just my first and last name. So it's at Luke Edmondson, L-U-K-E-E-D-M-O-N-S-O-N. You can go see our wedding work at edmondsonweddings.com. That's uh, with an S at the end. And for our fine art, you can go see it at Art1095. That's A-R-T-1095. The reason why we have Art1095 is essentially I'm trying to give my dad the gift of three years. And uh, so that's 365 days times three gets us to that 1095. And uh, that's to uh, kind of explore. He's earned it at this point, uh, kind of creating whatever it is that he desires to do and, uh, and, and uh, just have these stories that we want to tell. And some of the artwork that I've seen come out of, of this, I guess you could call it a project, it an, project. Ongoing project an ongoing project, has been absolutely mind-blowing. It's, it's, it takes art to a whole different level that, that I'm not used to seeing in our industry so you guys definitely make make time to check that out um, again thanks so much luke for for making time to sit down for conversation today privilege is all mine thank you thanks so much for listening to the boca podcast if you'd like to hear a particular photographer or entrepreneur in a future episode don't hesitate to email me nathan at photographers the boca podcast is brought to you by photographers edit custom post-production for the wedding and portrait photographer